give you a little bit of, uh, of a recap. So verse 1 tells us that Peter is writing to Christians, people who have received a faith that in here is described as precious. Verse 2 tells us that he wants them to know more and more of God's grace and peace. And verse 3, to grow more and more in godliness. Indeed, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now amazingly, God is the one who supplies the power to help us do just that, to grow. And that divine power should be put to work by us as we roll up our sleeves. We make every effort to grow in our faith. And as a result, we saw in this, in this passage that there will be an effect. We will not live ineffective and unproductive Christian lives. We will not get to the end of our lives and have nothing to show for it. We will have fruitful lives. We will bear fruit in keeping with the profession of faith that we have made with our mouths. Fruit for God's kingdom. Fruit in terms of personal growth and renewal and sanctification. Uh, Fruitfulness in relation to mission and seeing people saved. Now then he comes in verses 10 to 11 and Peter, we find Peter telling us about another reason to almost motivate us, to encourage us to really want to, you should really want to grow in godliness. You should want to grow in godliness because it's going to stop you from being ineffective and unproductive. But you should also want to grow in godliness because it's a really important way of being sure that you actually are a Christian. And I think that's what verses 10 and 11 are talking about. Um, I'm going to tackle verses 10 and 11 with three points tonight, all beginning with E. There must be something in the water, Matt. They were all beginning with E this morning. Um, so we're, and I think there's a past, a present, and a future aspect uh, in this text that's reflected in the three points. So number one, election. Number two, endurance. Number three, entrance. Okay, election, endurance, entrance. Here we go. Number one, election. Basically, what I think what Peter is telling us in here is that if you do these things, you will confirm something that has happened happened in the past. Look with me at verse 10. Uh, Here indeed is what God wants us to do right now as Christians. Therefore, my brothers, verse 10, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Now what that tells us is that God wants us to make every effort to be sure of our salvation. In fact, this make every effort, be all the more eager, is really the same root word that we have in verse 5 where Peter says, make every effort. So be all the more eager, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, knowledge and so on. Be all the more eager to make your calling and your election Sure. Now the word sure there basically means to ratify, to validate it, uh, to, to prove its genuineness. And so automatically the question at the start of this, this evening's sermon is, uh, do you consider yourself to be a Christian? Would you call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, many people would say that they are, but I wonder if you are in the sense that the Bible expects See, some people would say, oh, I go to church, therefore I'm a Christian. Uh, But that's not really what the Bible says a Christian is. The Bible says that a Christian is someone who has seen the error of their sinful lives, 
and the resultant judgment that is due us from God for that life. And they have turned from that to Jesus, trusting that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for that judgment, actually took it on himself so that we wouldn't take it. And it's believing in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for our sins and was raised again to life three days later. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's believing in that and living in the light of it. So would you consider yourself to be a Christian? Now, most of us in this room would say that we are. If you're here tonight and actually you're saying that you're not a Christian, uh, don't worry about that at all. You are very, very welcome to be here. And actually, this is a great sermon for you to hear. uh, Because it talks about what it means to be a Christian. And so it maps out for you, this is what it should look like if you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus for yourself. Now, most of us would say that we are saved from our sins, that we are right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you would prefer different terms. Uh, some like converted, some like born again, like Jesus uses in John 3. Well, in this verse, Peter likes the words called and chosen. You see that in verse 10. Called is actually one of the most common words in the New Testament that refers to salvation. It's used in two ways, meaning to either bring to faith or it simply means converted. Um, You see that in Romans 8 where it says those he called, he also justified. You see it also in the likes of 1 Corinthians 1.2, 2 2 Timothy 1.9 if you wanted a couple of cross-references for later. And then chosen is the other word. Now, that's basically what election means. Uh, Last Thursday we elected or chose our MSPs and basically it's selection is what's in mind here. Ephesians 1 reads, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we who claim to be Christians, we who claim to be those who are converted, called, chosen, whatever synonym you want to use for that. Let me ask you the question, are you sure? Are you sure? What gives you confidence that you are a believer? I think the question, are you sure, is actually a very useful question to ask in lots of different ways. Let me just give you, setting aside Christianity for a a second and just give you a, a, a... basic illustration. Sometime last year, I was up a ladder fixing a bathroom light. I had removed the bathroom light fitting and the old kind of fashioned red and black wires to kind of look like entrails dangled down in front of my face. I had a screwdriver in my hand and just as I was about to take hold of the live wire my wife walks past the bathroom door and says are you sure the electricity is off now there's a question that will make you stop and think right are you sure the electricity is off now think about it it's a good question to ask if the answer is yes then I have every reason to be confident doing what I'm about to do If the answer is no, I don't. I don't have any confidence going forward. So what do I do in that moment to examine my certainty? Two things. I think back and I look around. So I think back. 
I recall that a few minutes prior to this point of disassembling this bathroom light fitting, I turned the electricity off at the mains. I'd done that. I'd put the switch down. Or was it up? <laughs> it was off. Then, so I looked back, and I remember I turned it off. And then I look around. I don't know about you, but if I'm doing anything kind of electrical in the house, I'm such a numpty when it comes to DIY, and I'm cer- half certain that one day I'm going to die because of a malfunction on my part. Now, I make sure that I go around and I turn on every single light in the house just to be sure, you know. So it's not just the light that I'm actually working on. It's every single light in the house is off. So that's what I do. I look around. I look for the evidence. Do I see any illumination from any bulb in this property? No, I don't. Therefore, therefore, I feel like I'm perfectly safe. There's every indication in the present that I'm perfectly safe. So here's what I've just done. I was already sure that I had taken every precaution in order to safely change that light fitting. But having been asked the question, are you sure, and being encouraged to look for reasons to be certain, I actually found that I had an even greater assurance that I was not going to die. I had even greater confidence grabbing those red live wires and touching them with metal things. Perfectly fine. Greater assurance. Peter wants us to look for ways that we can be more sure of our salvation. He wants us to enjoy it and have assurance. And what what he seems to say in this passage is that the surest sign that you're a Christian is that you are growing in Christ-likeness. There is this fruit that we talked about earlier, a few weeks ago. I think it's really interesting, actually, that Peter doesn't get these believers necessarily to look back to a time when they went forward at a meeting or prayed a prayer. He gets them to look at what's happening today, right now, and he asks them, are you growing in godliness? Are you making every effort to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, and so on? And he's saying, if you possess these qualities and if you're increasing in them, and if you see fruit from this effort that you're putting in, of course, thoroughly supplied by the power that God himself provides, you can be confident that you are chosen and called. So what about you? Are you confident in your calling and election? Would you describe yourself as being, the the answer to that question is found in answering this question, would you describe yourself as being increasingly eager to do these things? Be all the more eager. Be excited about this. Be determined to do this. Actually, make every effort to think through how you're going to do it and then make every effort to apply yourself in doing it. Of growing in goodness. Of growing in love. Of seeing that marginal gain day by day, week by week, year by year. Of being a less selfish, self-centered person. And loving others better. As we were singing a few minutes ago, each other's needs to prefer. That's what it looks like, isn't it? Not our own. 
do we find our love for God growing? I'm sure many of you, if you actually stopped to think about the fruit that you've seen in your lives, the changes that God is bringing about by his grace, through his spirit, in the context of our church family, that you would be encouraged. Maybe you find yourself praying more than you did a year ago. You come to value it. You see it for its importance and you just love it. You look forward to it. Before you kind of felt like you ran out of things to say after 30 seconds. But now, now it's an enriching thing for you. You love it. Maybe you're serving in ways that surprise you. You didn't think you could do this thing. But God has given you the power and the ability. And you've just kind of stepped into the role. I see this in so many of our growth group leaders. It's such a joy to see these people serving in this way. Maybe you find yourself to be totally dissatisfied with patterns of sin in your life. You know, last year, actually, you wouldn't really mind too much what movie you went to see at the cinema or what you were watching on the TV. You know, the person could be blaspheming or whatever, but you kind of just, it's whatever to it. But now you're just like, actually, I I don't want to watch a single thing that takes the name of the Savior that I love and uses it as a swear word. Click. Are we seeing these kind of changes? Maybe you're doing a one-to-one with someone or you're in a small group. And someone's been chatting away with you over this sin issue, this thing you've been struggling with for a long time. I've really been struggling with anxiety for a long time. When this kind of thing happens, I don't cope very well. And I'm sure that, I think it's just a lack of trust really in God. And maybe that person's just said to you recently, do you know that you are acting in a totally different way to the way you did a year ago? Praise God. He's at work. This is the kind of fruit that we see. The kind of transformation that takes place, the aggregation of marginal gains as we looked at in the past. Reasons to be glad. Reasons to be confident that you have, as you look back, been at a point where you have truly trusted Christ and found salvation in him. Be eager, brothers and sisters, in this area. Second point, Peter addresses something to do with the present. He addresses endurance. He says, if you, he wants us to be seriously diligent in ratifying or validating our calling and election. That's what helps us for the past. Now in the present, he says, if you're growing in godliness, this is the very thing that will help you keep going. This is the thing that will help you persevere in the present. If you do these things, the these things, of course, just relates back to verses 5 to 7, the things of faith, knowledge, self-control, goodness, and so on. If you do these things, you will never fall. Now, the same word for never fall is basically the, the, the word that's used in the book of James for stumble. You'll never stumble. And it's talking, of course, about sin. Now, it's not the daily kind, for we all do that. I mean, who would be saved if, if it was for that? So it's not the daily kind or even the regular frequent kind. This is the kind where you turn away from the Lord and reject the faith altogether. Now Peter is writing to believers who know friends who have been enticed away by worldliness and by false teaching. We're going to get to that so much. In fact, all of chapter 2 tackles this issue. 
So we'll see it in a few weeks. The, the false teachers, as it says in 2.18, have enticed people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Then in chapter 2, verses 13, 14, we read about the kind of thing that characterizes the people who have, if you like, fallen away. Their eyes are full of adultery. They never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed. They've left the straight way, suggesting that they were once, it seems, on it. So that's the, ver- the very opposite, really, of what we've read in verses 5 to 7 of the faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control and so on. Now, maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know someone who was once, it seemed, on the straight way, who were the kind of person who said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I call myself a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I, I, I quite enjoy it. I like the songs. Uh, I like the sermon. Yeah. And they'll say these things, but now they're no longer following Christ. They no longer have the kind of indicators that the Bible presents for us as these are typical of those who trust Christ. They no longer care about sin. You know someone like that? I do. I I shared a flat with a guy at uni who made a real impression on me. I was a brand new baby Christian. And I was trying to get out of the accommodation I was in. And I wanted to move in with some of these Christian guys because I thought this would be really good for me, help me to grow in my faith and so on. And I moved in with a couple of guys who were, it seemed, very mature in their faith. And one of the guys in particular was president of the CU at the time when I became a Christian there. And I would often hear him as he led the meetings at the front, you know, praying prayers with, with, that were full of Bible content and seemingly so full of passion. Uh, he would be keen and caring. He would really be making an effort to welcome people. And he really did do a lot to help me be welcomed into that group because I had refused to go to church at that point. The only time I was getting any Christian witness and Christian gospel preaching was when I went to the CU, really. Well, one day this guy... Um, confessed that he had this a real attraction for a girl in the CU it had taken him a long time and and he to pluck up the courage to ask this girl out and he decided that he would and he did and she said no and that really crushed him it really broke his heart actually and after that his life just seemed to kind of crumble he felt like God had owed him for everything that he had done for all the ways in which he had served him and If he wasn't even going to get this, then actually um, he wasn't going to follow. He wasn't going to keep going. He didn't say that at first, of course. What happened at first was just, yeah, I'm just going to miss this Sunday service, actually. I'm just going to go for a walk. Or it was just the dust gathering on his Bible. You know, he wasn't picking it up. Or with my other flatmate and himself, we'd read the Bible together at times. We'd say, do you want to come through? We're going to read and pray. No, I'm okay just now. I've got some work to do. But it all became a bit of an excuse and missing one week became missing two weeks and then three weeks and then eventually it was just this gradual regression into worldliness. And 15 years later, it's no longer following the Lord. And maybe you know someone like that. Now you might say, well what happens to a guy like that? 
Saved or not is often the question that's asked, isn't it? That's a whole other sermon, I suppose. Lost or salvation or never saved in the first place? What is Peter actually talking about here when he's talking about never falling? Well, I would say that it's possible that he was genuinely converted. It is possible that one day he will repent and return to Christ. He will see the error of his ways and turn back to Jesus. But it seems perhaps more likely that given the warning passages that we have in Scripture, that his faith was not genuine. We're taught in Scripture to expect that. When Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats, and then the angels are talking about, shall we swoop in just now? Shall we do the separation just now? No, 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 now's not the time. They will exist together. It seems that there are people who actually go through their Christian lives thinking that they're in, when in fact they're not. So at the point when they get to, if you like, this doorway into heaven, if I can use that term, they're surprised when they hear the Lord say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil dear. Those are strong warnings. 1 John 2.19 says that those who went out from us did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Which means, in a sense, that that faith at first expressed may not have been genuine. Now, we don't know. The Lord knows who are his but there is, there is the necessity of heeding the warnings here. Now you might say to that, well what about the warning passages? Doesn't the fact that there are warning passages prove that you can fall away? Not necessarily. Don't, I, I would advise against making that jump. I think the warning passages are the means of keeping people, God's people, from falling away. I mean even for Peter here, this is kind of like a... You know, like a sign by a, by a cliff edge. He's showing them what will happen if they fall over, especially as he gets into chapter 2. There's very much a comparison going on between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And by warning them, he functions, he, 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 he does this thing where he keeps them away from the edge. So the warnings are actually for believers that are they're intended to make us kind of gulp at the prospect of falling over the edge into destruction. In order to keep us from the edge. Now I wonder if you ever think that this might be you. You ever worry that this might be you. My encouragement for you is, to, is, is not to take these warnings and start to worry. That would be the last thing that I want you to do off the back of a sermon like this. Where really what I'm talking to you about is being sure <laughs> and certain. This is intended to give us confidence. When you think about it, it's not intended to give us anxiety. Let me give you an illustration. When I warn my kids not to run onto the road, they're not supposed to stand in the driveway and say, I wonder if I'm alive. Does that make sense? Okay. The warning passages for us are not meant to say, I wonder, you know, it, it, be careful just in case, you know, make, your, make every effort. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. We're not supposed to stand there and say, I'm a, I, wonder if I'm, I wonder if I'm saved. We're supposed to say, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Where am I growing? 
In what ways can I see God at work? Asking other people. In what ways can I see growth in Christ-likeness? That's meant to be an encouragement for us. That's what Peter's saying. If you do these things, if you're making every, if you look to your life, if you're making every effort, you see these things coming into play, then you'll never fall. You can have confidence, not only in your salvation, in terms of a past choice, but now, in terms of your continuing. Endurance, actually, is one of the key indicators that really ratifies the genuineness of a person's salvation. It's actually one of the most common things said to new and baby Christians in the New Testament. We walked through the book of Acts in our evening services recently. And one of the things that struck me was that the way in which Paul and Barnabas and others addressed new believers when they went and they, when they spoke to them, you know, when people became Christians, they didn't just say, way, you're in, you've reserved your place in heaven. There was great rejoicing at the fact that God was saving people. But in no time at all, you heard them warn them. So in Acts eleven twenty three, for example, when Barnabas saw the grace of God, it says, he was glad. So there's the joy at salvation. And he exhorted them. Here's what's immediately afterwards. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That wasn't just like, you're in. And nothing that's ever going to happen is going to take you away. It's not guaranteeing. No, he's, he's offering a warning straight away. So Barnabas rejoiced with salvation, but straight away called for vigilance. And it's no wonder. Because actually one of the things that's seriously at stake here, if someone does turn away from Jesus and change the way they've lived in terms of living for him and living in a way that disregards him, is his reputation. It's his reputation. Jude does the same thing, of course. Keep yourselves in the love of God, he says. That's the opposite, really, of falling away. So Peter here, of course, as he's talking about, if you do these things, you will never fall. He's not talking about sinlessness. He's not talking about perfection. He's talking about steadiness. Keeping going in the faith all the way to the end. You'll not fall, he says. In other words, you'll finish on your feet. And that's point three, entrance. If you're growing in godliness, you can look forward to the future. And it's a rich welcome. Look at verse 11 with me. If you do these things, verse, this is the end of verse 10. If you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is not talking about what it's like to live in heaven in the new heaven and new earth that Peter's going to talk about in chapter 3. This isn't even talking about the kind of rewards that we have in heaven. It's talking specifically about the entrance into heaven. And the Christian life, of course, is compared at times to running a race. Finishing the race well is a really high honour. And thinking of that even made me reflect on a, a friend of mine who who was a timekeeper for a national athletics group. He would see all kinds of runners as he was sitting there at the finish line. And he would, he would say, you know, that Liam, there are some people that just really, they, they finish, they've, they've got a strong finish. 
And it's, it's times like that as they've crossed that finish line with real endurance and vigor, I've just said, you did well. It's good. It's like the well done, good and faithful servants. But then he did say that there were times where people just kind of crossed the line and they were looking a bit floppy. You know, they were just a bit floppy and they were out of puff. He said, oh, oh, you made it just in time. You know, it's like, well, that's kind of kind of encouraging. You've qualified, but, you know, you didn't really do that well. But then he said there were others where, where they had to meet this certain qualification time. He said, I'm sorry, you didn't make it in time. Now, the immoral, those who do not know and love the Lord Jesus Christ are clearly the third group in that illustration. People who will not qualify, they've not been running the race for Jesus, not put their faith and trust in him. But there are those who, and I referenced this a few weeks ago, and I think it's a reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that there are those who will who will run seriously well and have a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And there are those who will make it, if you like, by the skin of their teeth. As those who are saved through the flame. So their salvation is real. You should read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't have time to go into it just now. Read it tonight and reflect on these things. We're encouraged to see that we ought to be all the more eager to make every effort to grow in our faith that we might look forward to receiving a rich welcome. It's something that we can actually look forward to. I don't know what the best welcome you've ever had looks like. Maybe it was at an airport arrivals gate visiting family or friends or I don't know what it is. For me, I, I, love, I love going home. I love getting a welcome from my kids. Um, I, I only have two legs and three children. That presents a little bit of a problem. Uh, generally, one of the other kids gets a bit confused and starts hugging one of the other kids. But I'm like, hey, it's daddy here. It's, uh, but I love that. When I walk through the door, there's my little boy, the tiniest little thing, and these little legs move. It's just so cute. And he just comes up and he just... Daddy, 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 and then just wraps himself around me. It's great. We can receive, that's, that's such a joyful experience for me. It's nothing compared to what we'll receive when we, having, with the power that God has put at our supply, apply ourselves to living in his ways, making every effort to grow in Christ's likeness throughout our faith and walking forward in faith with great confidence Making disciples, building one another up in our faith, being at that time welcomed richly, richly into the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In case we are in any doubt as to what heaven actually is. You hear all sorts of people say all sorts of things about what heaven is like for them. I once worked beside a lady in Dundee who said, I was having a chat to her about Jesus and Christian things, and and we got onto the subject of heaven, and she she wasn't really listening. I was talking to someone else. She piped in and said, I don't really care what's in heaven as long as there's an Asda, because Asda meets all my needs. I was like, well, that is a bit strange. 
I was like, there's good news for you. There's no Asda, but you have need of nothing. The whole point of heaven is Jesus is there. The one who came and lived and died for us. The one who showed us an incomparable love and offered us this incomparable gift of salvation through faith in him. He's the one. He's the one we get to be with. He's the one whom we will see. He's the one whose likeness we will reflect, whose character we will finally take on. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, anything else that happens beyond death, and really there is only two choices, it's heaven or it's hell. Choose wisely, friends. There should be alarm bells ringing in your head. (laughs) Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His love is wonderful. His power is energizing for his people. And he carries us on. When we apply that power to grow in Christ-likeness, may you put your trust and your faith in him. And when we get there, sing praise and glory to his wonderful name. Let's bow our heads.